This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I'm your host, Leonard DiLorenzo. We want to talk today about the family, especially the expansive notion of the extended family and what this means for who we are as individuals, who we're responsible for, and what our parishes are. Our guest is Dr. Nicole Flores, Assistant Professor of Religious Study at the University of Virginia. She speaks, writes, and teaches regularly about the significance of Catholic and Latino theology and ethics in plural social, political, and ecclesial contexts. She has published broadly in academic journals and popularly on America, the Jesuit Review of Faith and Culture. She is at work on her first book, to lift up the lowly, the aesthetics of solidarity. And in 2015, she was honored with the Catherine Maury Lacuna Award for the best academic essay in Catholic theology from the Catholic Theological Society of America. She joined us at Notre Dame as a keynote speaker for the Liturgy and Domestic Church Conference, and we're so happy to welcome her here today. Nicole Flores, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Nicole, I'd like to begin by following up on the presentation you gave at a conference for the Notre Dame Center for Liturgy on the topic of the domestic church. In that presentation, you brought to the fore this expansive vision of the extended family in the Latino culture. And I wanted to ask, how could this vision become a model for how we approach the domestic church, especially in the United States? That's a great question. Um one hand, the, this expansive vision of family seems to maybe even cut against the ideas of domestic church that many of us have been mm. uh, thinking about, uh, because when we think of domestic church, we think specifically of the domestic space of the home and the way in which we ground church within our homes. But the model that I've outlined doesn't necessarily mean that we need to forego the kinds of fellowship and communities and, and spirituality even that happens within the home space. But this idea of the extended family helps to maybe give some dynamism to that idea, that within this model of Latino extended family, I reaffirm that the home is a special and maybe even privileged site for the intimate care and concern that happens between spouses, between parents and children, between those who live together in the same space and share the domestic space. But the extended family helps us to take some of the fruits of the the labors that we have within our our homes and share them more widely within, not not only within our our parishes, but within the larger church and within the the world at large. Very, I like the way you notice that, you know, the way in which we talk about the domestic church often has to do with simply the domestic space, so the boundaries of the household. And it sounds to me like what you're saying, yes, that is a privileged space in which this intimacy of care and concern is practiced, but perhaps there's, what is it, like a loss of translation, of translating that in the fruits, that what's practiced there doesn't just stay there, but actually moves outwards. Does that sound about right? And what the extended family offers us is the chance to move beyond the boundaries of the physical household? Absolutely. One of the questions that I most appreciated when I gave this presentation was someone asking me about the the relative merits of the thinking that's been done lately around the Benedict option and thinking mm. uh, about 
way that we uh, cultivate communities that are really committed to each other and really look towards our inward life to, to understand who we are in relation to Christ. And I responded that one of the experiences I gained that was most valuable from working at a Benedictine college, I worked at St. Anselm College for a couple right. of years, was kind of seeing that model in action and seeing how the community really invested in what was happening on the home front and really being attentive to that. But also there were so many ministries and so many people within the community who were committed Committed to sharing that love and concern more widely with the broader community in the town and with the world at large. So I see that this understanding of extended family as being a really rich metaphor for helping us to think about how to take what we gain from that space and move it outwards when we think about how we belong to each other. It hmm. just helps us to think more in a more concrete way about how we belong to each other. You know, the family that I grew up in, my, my immediate family, my mom, my dad, my sisters, and, and now, you know, our uh, our spouses and children and, and such, we definitely have a very special bond, but it is one that we would never see as excluding uh, love and concern and special responsibility for our broader family. So I, my hope is that this metaphor can help navigate that space between what happens at home and what happens in the world in a, a richer way. Yeah, it was interesting that you bring in, or at least that questioner brought in the Benedict option in relation to this, that maybe one of the critiques of the Benedict option is that it could tend towards being uh, like an inward looking culture that you develop this sort of rich, robust Catholic culture, and then it becomes somewhat insulated. But it seems like the real heart of that idea is that it's an intentional culture, which doesn't mean it's inward looking. It means that certain things are practiced and enriched within a community that's really focused on a, on a set of practices and out of those set of practices, it therefore teaches you how to live in the world more fully and more fruitfully as a, as a disciple. So I like the way that you're bringing, you know, you've, that question allowed you to bring that into this understanding of the domestic church. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So what kinds of customs and practices do you see as embodying this vision of the extended family, especially from Latino culture? Well, it's interesting. Uh, so some of them are fairly obvious to uh, to Catholics, and uh, I did discuss this a little bit in my talk. Mm-hmm. But just thinking about the way extended family helps us to think about what happens in sacraments, you know. So baptism, in, especially in the way that we we call upon those who are not a part of our immediate family to to be the godparents right. for our children, in, or for our uh, uh, those who are newly baptized within that sacrament already embodies this. So mm. there's already an extension that's happening through our sacramental system. So when we think about the Eucharist, we don't think about having, you know, it being a meal that is identical to the kind that we would have for supper at home. Right. It's not. It's, it's like that. It's connected to that, but it isn't that. It's one that uh, that draws us out. Um, both uh, to be in communion with, with Christ, but also in communion with each other. And that's one of the reasons why we do preserve the life of the parish and why it is very important that we show up and participate in, in our sacraments. So, so those practices, I think, are the most obvious ones uh, to me. But thinking specifically about the particularities 
of the Latino family, but beyond the Latino family, those communities and cultures which orient group identity as being central for understanding individual identity. So this isn't just Latino cultures sure. by any means. But the concept of fiesta or gathering, there's some Latino theologians, in, including Ara Maria Sazi Diaz, Roberto Goizueta, who have written theological reflections on the meaning of fiesta or gathering. Is it, you know, it's often translated as party, but it's a little bit more than that, right? A little bit lost in translation. That there, with, Within that gathering, uh, the kinds of communities that are built up and formed, ideally at least, are, are ones that are concerned about more than just what's happening at home. They're involving a larger community, but concerned more uh, about more than just enjoyment, that there's a need for the, these kinds of communities for survival. Mm-hmm. And that particular practice, which again, isn't particular at all, really, is one that is integral to this ethic, that um, coming together in fellowship, in communities of, of enjoyment, of celebration, that that is the root of the kind of community that will help us to have social concern for each other on a broader scale. So it's, it is a kind of encounter that is fostered within that kind of act of fiesta, or um, uh, uh, another one might be of the, the way that Latino families, uh, uh, we have a habit <laughs> uh, of kind of extending the the appellation of family member pretty uh, pretty, pretty uh, broadly and quickly, and, yeah. yeah uh, but th- there is a way in which calling someone uh, my primo or prima who uh-huh. isn't biologically related to me does signal that I have an investment in them that is more than just you know, the, this modern individualistic, well, you do your thing, I do my thing, and we go our separate ways. Yeah. Uh, but it signals to a commitment that means that we have the flourishing and the best interest of the other at heart in a way that goes beyond that uh, uh, kind of uh, hands-off approach that many of us are accustomed to in our culture today. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We are talking with Dr. Nicole Flores, Assistant Professor of Religious Studies at the University of Virginia and recent keynote speaker at the Liturgy and Domestic Church Conference at Notre Dame. Back to that act of fiesta that you were talking about, I wonder, you know, what is that what does that teach us about worship? Like the practice of fiesta and coming together and celebrating and having our lives uh, intertwined in this way, in this act, not just in theory, but in an actual act. Do you have thoughts mm-hmm. on what that might teach us about what it means to worship, how we worship? Yes. Uh, well, and it's very interesting. So I've been thinking about family ethics and especially this vision of an extended family uh, Catholic ethic rooted in a Latino experience for a really long time now, basically since I've been uh, studying theology, I've been thinking about this. Mm-hmm. But I only became a mother uh, 15 months ago. Oh, so congratulations. It, really Thank you so much. Um, but it, uh, that experience really shifted my thinking uh, about a lot of things uh, in relation to family ethics, but certainly about the way that worship can help to facilitate a sense of extended family. And uh, during my talk uh, earlier this month, I told the story of how my family attends, we, we typically attend, uh, attend the English-speaking Mass at mm-hmm. our parish, and we love it, and we've developed a, a really good community uh, within, uh, with, within that space. But this past Christmas, we attended the Spanish-speaking Mass 
partially out of necessity, uh, but partially because uh, it is, uh, you know, it was, it was a time that worked best for us. And, you know, we yeah. needed to make sure that our nap schedule was met. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but also um, because there is a cultural resonance, you know, I'm uh, Mexican-American and my husband spent time working uh, in missions in Mexico. So there, there's a, a cultural resonance with us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't our primary reason for going. Uh, but it's very interesting the way that understanding of family, that extended family feeling that's cultivated within Latino communities, it, it was expressed within worship in a way that created space for my son. Hmm. You know, my husband and I are theologians. We are uh, people who uh, love liturgy and feel comfortable, you know, in in spaces where we're expected to uh, kind of go with the flow. But my son is not yet that. Right? Right. Maybe someday he'll be a theologian, who knows. But even just in his embodied expression of uh, love for his creator, it's not yet done in a way that that adheres to rules mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or Strict acknowledges concepts, you know, yeah. the existence of time. Yeah, right? <laughs> definitely uh, not the existence uh, of time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There, there's so much, you know, and eventually he will, and that's his tell-off. Right. So we're not saying, oh, and he should never understand, you know, that uh, we should sit still during math. <laughs> but as a young person, it's something he's still learning. And we found within that worship space that was really uh, inflected by this understanding of extended family that that there was a little bit more freedom for him to to worship God in a really authentic way, a way that's authentic to him, and that that can be a building block potentially for who he understands uh, his Lord to be as he, you know, moves deeper into his childhood and eventually into adulthood, that uh, the cultures that we form uh, should create space for all of us, even the youngest among us. And that's what the family metaphor helps us to do, is to think about how we're creating space for everyone at the table, uh, even those who are most vulnerable uh, or uh, least, le- least likely to pay attention during the Eucharistic prayer. <laughs> yes, right. which might be some of us who are full-blown adults at this point, yes. actually. Yeah, <laughs> totally get it. Well, let's, let's stick with the parish here for a moment. So in sort of foregrounding this understanding of the extended family and allowing that to open up the sense of the domestic church beyond just the, you know, physical space of the domestic home and the closest intimate members of the family. When we look to the parish then, what does this embrace of the extended family mean for how we conceive of the parish or how we practice being in parishes as Catholics? Well, I think that there's a way that the metaphor helps helps us to have a more capacious view or more expansive view of the the work that parishes can do for the broader community, but also the the kind of service and presence that we can be for each other. Mm-hmm. So one one example that comes to mind from my home parish, which you can tell how much I love it, just <laughs> how much I keep referring to it. I, I think even uh, even though there there's an English speaking community and a Spanish speaking community, uh, that our pastor uh, has really invested in in making it a space that that is family. When you're there, you're family. You feel that presence. Uh, you feel his fatherly presence as you would uh, uh, someone who uh, who's uh, orienting a space towards towards your good and your flourishing. So it, it very much has that sense to it. But that ends up imbuing all of the, uh, the the other ministries within the church. So I think specifically of our ecological justice ministry. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different kinds of um, actions that, that parishes take 
to uh, to be involved with ecological justice and to to live out the vision that we've received from Laudato Si and other teachings on the environment. But at the church, one thing that we do is have a community garden where everybody can kind of, you know, either sponsor a plot or if you just feel like you need to water something that day, you can show up <laughs> to the parish and just like water some herbs. Right, and, watering and, and therapy. Course, Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Watering <laughs> ministry. Um, and, and that creates, and it uses something that we would do domestically uh-huh. and perhaps even privately yeah. and, and makes it into a parish act. And of course, we, we enjoy the, uh, the fruits of that labor collectively. You know, that's not the private uh, production of, of any of us. You know, the, the, what we harvest is the, the harvest of all of us. Mm. And for me and my family, we, uh, we live at an apartment with a little tiny balcony. We don't have space to garden or to grow within our domestic space. Um, and we have a 15-month-old who would, you know, destroy anything we try to, <laughs> <laughs> to grow uh, in our very small apartment. Um, but it invites us to be involved with this uh, uh, cooperating with God and creation of food that nourishes our brothers and sisters in a way that we couldn't be, or it would be very, at least very difficult to be within our own domestic space. So it becomes an extension of that and in return nourishes our domestic space. Mm. Uh, our, the hope is that we bring those practices of love and attention and contributing to the common good, and we take that home. And that's how we treat each other uh, within my husband and I, within the context of our marriage, within the context of our um, our parent child relationship with uh, with our son. And and I see that as uh, as a possible way for the entire church to benefit from that really rich feeling of being family to each other and not just being, you know, families who care about each other. And some, you know, uh, some of my critics have pushed back on me and said, oh, well, you know, what about uh, loving your neighbor? Does this get rid of that ethic? Well, I don't think it necessarily has to, but thinking about each other as family really helps us to um, uh, to emphasize belonging in a way that some of the other metaphors available to us don't uh, necessarily allow us. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We are talking with Dr. Nicole Flores, Assistant Professor of Religious Studies at the University of Virginia, and the recent keynote speaker at the Liturgy and Domestic Church Conference at Notre Dame. Let me ask a question then about the relationship between the social and the anthropological. In other words, how does our understanding of the family change how we see ourselves as human beings? Mm, That's a great question. Um, I think that... Again, the, the way that many of us come to see ourselves as human beings in our, our society and culture today is, honestly, it's first through a political lens. Mm-hmm. And it's become very clear uh, to me and to many people over um, uh, the, the past, uh, uh, I would say the past decade, but, uh, but maybe even longer sure. <laughs> than, than that, that, that um, the, the church sees itself and sometimes, I, I, maybe I should rephrase that. I think that sometimes Catholics can see ourselves as handmaidens of politics rather mm. than the other way around. So, so there's a way in in which our human identity, as we've come to conceive it, and you know, I, I think this happens whether you're you're trying to resist this uh, understanding of our identity or not. We come to see it as being. Uh, uh, individuals and almost a consumer mentality. You know, I'm an individual chooser and I get to go out and choose what, uh, you know, what interests I have, what uh, what problems I, I care about and thus which problems 
affect me. Uh, and social media has allowed for an even more kind of um, uh, an even uh, uh, kind of uh, more like, robust narrowing of 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 our interests. Right. Uh, yeah. And this has been assisted by uh, technologies that are created to target uh, uh, what. Uh, information had been collected about us and, and what the internet thinks it knows about us. Right, and, it's curated and, around and, us, like individually. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly, so. as, as individuals. So, this understanding of family, uh, it, so in a certain sense, it says, well, yes, you're an individual, and within, within families, uh, people matter, and people should matter, and we should do right by individual family members. But you are connected to each other in ways that can't just be destroyed because it's inconvenient mm. or boring or hard. And for me, this has really come to a head in thinking about the uh, the crisis uh, for migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border, that some of the responses have been um, really geared towards saying, well, this is not my problem because either this is not my child or this is my problem because I've selected it from this menu of, you know, political issues that come along with uh, my my other ideological issues. But in, in both of those instances, there's not a sense of the, the reason why it matters is because we belong to each other and this mm. is happening to us as a social body and as a social family, especially for Catholics who think of each other as, uh, we, we think of ourselves as a global church. This is happening to us, and uh, it, it's happening to us in ways that uh, subverts whatever your political uh, affiliations are and, and, and calls us to action outside of the the narrow matrix of the political in our society. So I think that there's a way that um, this metaphor challenges uh, the way that we've come to think of ourselves as individuals who are uh, who are political and economic first, and maybe uh, Catholic third, fourth, or fifth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it says that we belong to uh, the kingdom of God first. We are citizens of heaven first. And that other um, other ways of acting in the world should be oriented to that and not the other way around. You know, as you're speaking about that, I'm thinking about the way you might hear this, um, say, on the radio or the news, the way in which people are sometimes spoken of that if it's, say, economic or financial news, they might speak of the consumer. Or if it's political news, they'll speak of the voter. And so each individual is sort of reduced to that role, which they fill individually. And it drains out any of the sort of relational notions of the human person that we would otherwise put in. So certainly it's not um, familial language. It's not, you know, the father or the brother or the sister or the mother. But also, as, as I'm hearing you talk about our belonging to one another and responsibility for one another, and especially regarding the issues surrounding the border, um, there's a way in which we can reduce that issue or reduce ourselves in that issue to say, I'm this, this consumer, this voter, this citizen of this state or of this country that's not connected to that one. And maybe part of this issue is not just linguistic, but part of it is linguistic to think of ourselves and speak of ourselves more relationally. And I'm hearing that a little bit kind of on the on the edges of what you're talking about in terms of reclaiming this 
this more expansive notion of family of reteaching us how to think a grammar for ourselves and to to yeah. un, to allow ourselves to be connected to one another as we would profess in the Catholic faith. Amen. Preach it. Uh, hey, yes, that, that, we got a preaching show now, folks. Yeah. <laughs> a preaching show. Um, no, I think that um, uh, you're exactly right. That's um, uh, there. There is something uh, something of a, a grammatical argument at, at play here. That the the way that we've come to think about ourselves is out of step with who God has called us to be, and a part of our life of faith is to. Uh, reclaim that and correct it. Take the corrective steps that we need to take hmm. in order to uh, uh, to live more fully um, uh, in God's word. And uh, one of uh, the uh, most resounding messages that we receive uh, from uh, from all of Scripture, but certainly from uh, from Jesus in the New Testament, is that we we do belong to to each other, and that and, and not only do we. Uh, are we related to each other, but we are called to be present to those who are suffering, to the least of these. And that becomes uh, a way in which uh, Jesus judges the nations, is uh, the work that we do for one another, uh, whether we uh, uh, feed the hungry, uh, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned. Uh, th- those are, you know, I'm not just making this up as, you know, <laughs> you know that's, right. uh, uh, that's in Matthew 25. And, yeah. and that's, uh, that's uh, uh, part of the identity that Jesus has um, uh, called us to be in our lives in him. So uh, what steps do we need in order to, uh, to live the kind of lives that... Uh, um, that we're called that, to, yeah. Do those things, yeah, right. yeah. A, a part of it means, uh, you know, asking really tough questions about who we believe ourselves to be in relation to others, in addition to asking, you know, and continuing to ask the tough questions about who we are in relation to Christ. Both of those are really demanding things uh, and, and sets of questions to ask, but uh, they're, they're certainly uh, necessary still in our day and age. Yeah. Well, we've just about taken up all the time, so I want to just ask you before we go: Where are you putting your attention now, or where are you putting it uh, going forward? What are you What are you interested in looking at, or in exploring, and helping to uh, draw other people's attention to to teach on? Uh, well, kind of related to this under to the conversation about families and how we understand ourselves to be related to each other. Uh, my most recent work uh, has been on the way that. Um, the aesthetic dimensions of human identity and uh, even of our religious understanding can maybe do a better job or help do a better job of uh, having conversations about solidarity and community in public life. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the long and the short of that is that I'm looking at uh, the way that uh, that beauty helps lead us to justice within community. Hmm. So I'm uh, I'm writing a a book right now about that, looking specifically at the way that Latino uh, Catholics have used Our Lady of Guadalupe as uh, not just uh, a religious or a devotional symbol, although she surely is that, but also a political symbol and a symbol of social justice and how that connection is creating uh, opportunities for us to think about community in new ways and our belonging to each other in new ways in the 21st century. Well, we're going to have to have a follow-up conversation on that, I think, if you don't mind. <laughs> I'd love to. Excellent. I'd love to. <laughs> but thank you so much for this time today. This has been a really fruitful conversation. I'm so grateful to you for joining us. 
great. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We are joined by Dr. Nicole Flores. You can find her online at NicoleMFlores.com. And Nicole is spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-E-M-Flores.com. Thanks to everyone for joining us on Church Life Today. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners.